So uh, let's jump into things. We're in uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, there's three verses that we're going to cover today, three verses. Um, and in it um, is, I think, I think the most profound question that we can ask of ourselves, uh, that we can ask uh, a friend or a neighbor, uh, is, is right in the middle of this. And so uh, let's, let's take a look at uh, the text, pray, and then we'll unpack it, okay? Mark chapter 8, 27 to 30. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. All right, let's pray. God, there's your word um, that as we've sung it today, as it's been proclaimed by Wesley, as it's just been spoken by me and other portions of Scripture, God, it's the most pure part of our worship gatherings that we are literally sitting under the what would be called the Apostles' teaching. We're sitting under, under the words of Jesus, the story of God. And Holy Spirit, we ask you right now that you would impact us, impact our minds, impact our hearts uh, don't let it stay there. Transform us to where we are people that love you or love you more. And we're people that go out and love others more. Lord, as, as we think about this and it's, as it relates to evangelism, to telling others about Christ, as it, as it propels us out to have mercy and compassion, to help the helpless, to bandage the wounded, propel us out, God, as missionaries into our city and world and as ministers in our city and in our our world, God. Holy Spirit, I can't do this, but you can. Change my heart, change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Next week, uh, we're going to actually talk about Jesus' response to Peter uh, that we just heard about him saying that you're the Christ. But then, shortly after that, he ends up scolding Peter about his wrong approach to an accurate answer. And so it's, it's interesting. We'll look at how uh, we can know things about God and then we try to manipulate God to do what we think should be done. But that's next week. So today, uh, one of the things we'll unpack is um, some terms we throw around, and so, which is religion, irreligion, and grace, or religion, irreligion, and gospel. We're going to unpack that, uh, what that means. Um, again, the the two big questions we see in here is, number one, is what do, you, what do uh, others say about Jesus? And who do you say that Jesus is? Verse 27 there. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? People have uh, different levels of ignorance or of respect or of disdain for Jesus Christ. Um, Let's talk about folks that are ignorant of Jesus. Guys, there are many, there are many people that still do not know who Jesus Christ is. Some in our city, many in our nation, many more in the world. There are folks, you guys are students, there, there are folks in your school that maybe they've heard about Jesus, um, but they don't know who Jesus really is. And uh, um, 
some people have said that living in the Bible Belt, it's, it's kind of having a Jesus, an inoculation to Jesus, that you can hear just enough uh, to, uh, to make you immune to Him. And that's the way a lot of folks are in this city. There is a need for very clear gospel presentation and declaration to friends and neighbors right here in our city, right in your neighborhood that you live, live in, um, in the workplace, uh, you men, you women, where, where you are. There are folks that they may even say spiritual things, but they don't know who Jesus really is. And one of the things we want to press you in today is that you'd be a person that you'd be compassionate enough to find out. That you say, okay, God, I, I, can't, I can't engage everybody, but you give me people in my sphere of influence that you've wrapped around me and me around them. That God, give, He's given me months and years, for, for many of us decades in the future, to find these things out. To find out who they think Jesus really is. The people that are around you. Guys, Jesus loves the world. He could have shown up to every person himself and declared himself and declared the gospel and saved people that way. But by his design, he's chosen to use the church, and that means Christians. That doesn't mean a building, that doesn't mean a steeple. He's chosen to use Christians to spread the word. God wants us to love our city and to know our city. He's called us to love the world in the generation that we live in. Okay, I don't know what the world's going to look like 50 years or 100 years from now. Um, I don't know what the city's going to look like then. But God has called you to know and to love your city and the world that you're in, in your generation, and to be faithful to this generation. What if we had a passion and a strategy to see everyone in Metro Huntsville evangelized in the next 20 years? What if? I mean, dream with me. And this is not something that Sojourn Church can do alone. This is something that God will engage the body of Christ in Huntsville, the big church in Huntsville, the Christians, to dream these dreams and to strategize and to say, what if we said in the next 20 years, what if we had some strategies to try to to proclaim the gospel to every man, every woman, every student, every boy and girl in Metro Huntsville? And it's a huge, huge task, and it starts in your sphere of influence. And it moves out to your family and who they influence. It moves out to the group of people that you're sojourning with. And we call them we call them journey groups as far as very practical and very systematic. Um, what, what it looks like for people to to maybe gather and and uh, and some are location driven, others not. But but specifically people that they get together in certain neighborhoods and they say, you know what. We take responsibility for our neighborhood. And you just start thinking through, like, okay, if, if I thought about a year down the road or two years, five years, ten years, started mapping out my neighbors, started mapping out students that are in my class this semester or this year, started mapping out the people that are in, in my workplace to say, all right, how can I just take some baby steps to love them, to serve them, and to get to a place where they will trust me enough to answer the question of who they think Jesus Christ is. What if, guys? What if we really took that seriously? And I know many of you guys do. 
Let's talk a little bit about the world. Um, the Southern Baptists uh, do a fantastic job at gathering information. It's called the International Mission Board. Here's some facts coming from them. They say that there are 11,310 people groups in the world, and they define a people group as an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared with various members, okay? 11,300 of these all over the world, okay? Out of those over 11,000, there's over 6,400 people groups where evangelicals are less than 2%. You hear me? The majority of people groups in this world have less than 2% evangelical Christians living among them. Out of over 11,000, there's 3,100 people groups that are completely unengaged with the gospel. 3,100. Now, guys, what, what, if, what if we just opened up ourselves and said, God, I, I'm open I'm open to you to use me in my city, in my neighborhood. I'm open to you giving me a heart for a people group or for a country to where I can't get to know everybody, but I'm going to study. I'm going to be a, a missiologist. That's a fancy word for just saying, man, you're a person that loves people of other tribes and other cultures. And you say, I center in and God, give me, give me a country. Give me a people group. They're going to be a part of in my life, just keeping track and be a part of seeing how the gospel can reach them. And if it's a group where the, the, the New Testament or the Bible has not been translated in their, in their language, to, to, get some, to get some ownership there to say, God, in my lifetime, I want to give finances and, and help try to find people that are good translators. To, man, we want to get the gospel into their language. I mean, what, what happened? What happened? This is not just an American dream. I mean, Christians all over the nation, I mean, they're sending people out to other countries. What would happen if it happened in your life? This could be the generation to drastically change these figures. There are folks who are ignorant about Jesus Christ. There are folks that respect Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is going to include Christians who not only respect but worship, adore reverence him, Um, but it's also going to include friends, acquaintances that are uh, spiritual, that maybe they're not tied to any any certain faith group, but they're just a very spiritual person, and they're they're open not just to one thing, but many times they're open to a a lot of different things, very syncretistic many many times, where it is they kind of mix, they mix up thoughts, mix up up faiths, and they just kind of, I I'm a spiritual person, but you've got religious people that maybe they're committed or devoted to a moral code, to a certain faith group, uh, folks who do have a respect. That doesn't make a person a Christian to respect Jesus, but at least they've got some thoughts. There are folks that have a disdain, uh, a total disrespect, a disregard for, for Jesus Christ. Um, most of the time, there's going to be people that, that you know uh, that... Uh, They've been burned somewhere along the line, especially in, in our, in our uh, corner of the woods, in the Bible Belt. People that have been burned by what they would say the church burned them, um, a pastor or minister burned them, um, or just Christians a, or a Christian has burned them. Uh, it may be, they may be accurate in describing that. They may be completely unfair in describing it. But regardless, they have a disdain, a disrespect for Jesus Christ. 
Um, for certain uh, uh, atheists, um, um, uh, especially the new atheists, uh, some of the most faithful evangelists um, these days are the new atheists. Uh, they really put a lot of Christians to shame because they don't believe in anything. But they're so committed that they want to convince everybody of not believing in something. And, it's, uh, and to me, that takes a ton of faith right there. I mean, a ton of commitment to say, not only am I going to believe this and own this myself, but I want, to, I want to convince people. I want to convince others that believe in something not to believe in that, but rather to believe in nothing. That's amazing commitment. And, and it certainly should, we don't mean to feel condemnation, but we should feel, we should feel an itch. You know, within us, just say, God, help me to scratch that, to be a person that I, I love. I, you love God for me to share about you. Help me to love that. Help me to engage that. So he asked, he asked them, um, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. Everyone is either under religion, irreligion, or grace. Those are some categories that gotten from one we call him an adjunct professor here tim keller and uh uh I, I, a ton of us man we've we've learned under his tutelage and seeing these categories irreligion is this uh that's where the folks the the atheists uh, agnostics others but irreligion basically says i have my own righteousness it's a gift to me and a gift to others all right now they may not use that term righteous but basically they say, I'm completely okay in and of myself. I don't need anything external. Okay, I certainly don't need any faith. I don't need any God. I'm completely okay. I'm right. right. So therefore, it's a righteousness that they have. It's my gift to me and also to others. Um, relativism is going to be in, in the middle of this. Hedonism, for sure, uh, will be in the middle of this. Wikipedia, uh, the a very, very trusted uh, source of information says this, irreligion is a lack of religion, indifference to religion, or hostility to religion. Depending on the context, it may be understood as referring to atheism, agnosticism, deism, skepticism, free thought, or secular humanism. That's irreligion. Religion. Religion basically says, I bring righteousness as a gift to God. I've got it. I'm right, I've got righteousness, or I'm doing well enough, or I'm going to achieve enough, and I will bring that to God, and I'll bring it as a gift to Him. Again, going to uh, uh, Wikipedia, a religion is a set of beliefs and practices often centered upon specific supernatural and moral claims about reality, the cosmos, and human nature, often codified as prayer, ritual, or religious law, Religion also encompasses ancestral or cultural traditions, writings, history, and mythology, as well as personal faith and religious experiences. The term religion refers to both the personal practices related to communal faith and to group rituals and communication stemming from shared conviction. Um, if you're new around here, we, we talk about performance-based righteousness um, or works-based righteousness, basically works that, that people having a worldview that I and of myself can do well enough for God to accept me. And that's what we're talking about here. That is what religion is. I will, I will own my own righteousness and I'll bring it as a gift to God. Now let's, let's just anchor here for a little while. Let's, 
let's define God, especially as we've talked about those that don't believe in God, atheists, agnostics, others, and let's define define God. Um, Wikipedia says this. I am quoting from her a lot today. In a very political, correct way, says God is the most often conceived of is most often conceived of as the supernatural creator and overseer of the universe. Theologians have ascribed a variety of attributes to the many different conceptions of God. The most common among these include omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, omnibenevolence, which is perfect goodness, divine simplicity, and eternal and necessary existence. Um, Their concept to God points to a personal God, but that's not everyone's concept of God. Um, You've got deists who they believe uh, that God creates, but that he's not present in the workings of his creation. And so it emphasizes God's transcendence. And transcendence, if you're not familiar with that, means something very, very far away or something incredibly different. The word holy actually means very, very, very other. And that is a great definition of transcendence. So the deists, they would believe that God is very different and very far away they don't believe in the opposite side or the the connecting point of that the other side of the coin which is eminence which means close and intimacy so deists they don't even necessarily believe in a in a personal god uh, but they believe in a, a god type being but so very very different and will never connect with him uh, pantheists believe that god is part of his creation and so they they uh uh, they will point to they'll point to the uh, that other side, which is the eminence of God. They don't wouldn't point to a transcendence that God is so very very different. In fact, they would say He's the same and He's actually a part of of creation Himself. And a lot of the ancient religions where the you know the moon the moon is a god, you know the water is a certain god that that God is a part of creation. Now that's different than what's called panentheism or monism, which is that all is God and all is one. And again, that deals with, with uh, God's, God's eminence, again, that he's so very, very close. Uh, most New Age spiritualists would uh, fall in this kind of a category of just thinking that God is in all and he is all. I am God. God's within me. And, uh, and, and all of these, again, they, there's something where you don't, You've got something, you've got the ability within yourself to then get to God or for God to accept you. Um, something called process theology or open theism uh, would state that God is in a process, that God's still growing and learning uh, with his creation um, and uh, all kinds of difficulties with that. Um, naturalism um, is one that does not believe in God uh, but believes that all matter has come from natural processes without the aid of any kind of supernatural entity. And so matter and life were created by, by chance. So those are, those are just a few examples of, of uh, people's concepts of, of God. But let me give you my definition for God. God is power, a power persona that exists beyond natural laws that is the origin of all things. Now that's again, that's not God with a big G. Certainly, that He is that, but that's what we're we're talking about. Um, as as of the year the year two thousand, 
Approximately 53% of the world's population identifies with one of the three Abrahamic religions. 33% of the world, 33% would be Christian, uh, 20% Islam, and then less than 1% Judaism. Okay, 53% of the world's populations following one of the Abrahamic religions and or faith systems. And I, um, we're going to talk about Christianity and how it's it's different than religion in just a little while. Um, within the world, 6% Buddhist, 13% Hindu, 6% ch- traditional Chinese religion, 7% with various other religions, and less than 15% as being non-religious or irreligious. Um, 15% irreligious in the world, as of uh, quotes, you know, uh, some stats in, in the year 2000. Um, that would be... That would be mainly agnostics, mainly. It's people who claim they do not know, but also say that there's no way to know. All right? The smallest piece of that is going to be atheists who would say there is no God and they're sure about it. All right? Now, I'm, I'm not giving these stats to browbeat any atheists or agnostics. Uh, if you're an atheist friend or agnostic friend that's in here or maybe listening to this sometime in the future, uh, man... We, we love you and glad to be friends with you and, and would love to keep, continue to have conversations about Jesus Christ uh, with you. Um, I uh, certainly want to give context to the subject of, of naturalism and atheistic thought in here. But the vast majority of people throughout history have been theistic, meaning that they believe in a God or gods. All right, Though they haven't agreed on what or who God is, most people believed and believe in a higher power. And um, some people will say that, that all religion is worthwhile, that all religion is okay, but just be sincere in what you believe. Um, but the truth is, guys, that, that faith systems cannot be the same. They can't be the same because they come from all kinds of different places to say this is what we believe and how to believe. Now, here are some of the leaders and the founders of religion. You had Buddha. You had Confucius, you had Muhammad, you had Lao Tzu uh, with Taoism, you had Joseph Smith with Mormonism, Gandhi, uh, you had Zoroaster, uh, who was a Persian prophet, uh, also known as Zarathustra, um, and uh, you, you have their prophets, you've got their imams, you've got their teachers, their leaders, their prophets, going back to this question that was posed to the disciples, who do people say that I am? They basically were saying, well, people say that you're a prophet like the Jewish, the Hebrew prophets. And you've got others who would just say, well, he's one of the prophets out of all of the world religions and would, would throw Jesus in with these other founders. Right? But guys, I mean, you need to know that these guys, these prophets, these imams, these prophets, these teachers, they did say, I found the truth, I found the way, I'm walking in it, walk this way too, follow me. That is what they said. But there's a drastic difference between them and Jesus Christ. None of them proclaim to be God. I don't know if you've done the research, but none of these founders of religion claim that they were God. You've got some crazies out there and usually very short-lived cults or sects where they'd say that, man, I am God. But these folks, these, these men that I listed here, none of them said that they're God. But Jesus did. 
Jesus of Nazareth did. And this is part of the reason why it's so strange that Christianity ever got off the ground. Because the Greco-Roman religion believed that God would not, that, that, excuse me, that God would take the form of man. They'd come and mess around for a while, but not Judaism. Judaism was very transcendent in their thoughts about Yahweh. They're like, he's so very different and so very other. And, you know, some of you have heard us talk about this. Of when the scribes, when they'd get, when they'd be, when they'd be uh, uh, working through Scripture in the Old, the Old Testament, that when they'd come to the word Yahweh, that they would go and they would wash their hands and then they'd come and they would write the name, they would, the tetragrammaton. They wouldn't even, it, it was, there was four letters that they had that that represented the name of God to them. I mean, we say Yahweh, but we're, but we're not sure if that's what, what the vowels and the consonants that God actually said to Moses, but it's what they used. But they would wash their hands, then they'd go write it, then they'd go wash their hands again because they're like, man, God is so holy, He's so very different. It was anathema to them that anybody would ever claim to be God. And see, Christianity was born and birthed out of this Jewish religion. It was born among a bunch of Jews. I mean, they were deeply committed to the thought that God was spirit, He was transcendent, and it was blasphemous to proclaim that God would be or could be a man. That's why the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus. It was a capital offense to equate yourself to God. A capital offense. John 10, uh, let me read verse 27 to 33 to you. Jesus proclaimed this. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father, what's it say? Say it out loud. Are one. And then, you see what it says next? Verse 31, look at it. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Why? Because it was a capital offense. They, they thought the bottom of the pit of hell would have been reserved for people who would equate themselves to God. It was so sacrilegious. And you got this guy that these people are following. You got these Pharisees, and he's been talking back, talking bad about these Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders. He's been putting them down publicly. And they're like, We got him now. Because he's just said, he's just said the worst thing he could ever say. He's just equated himself with Yahweh. Why did he do that? Because he's saying, I am God. I am God. He said something drastically different than any of these religious leaders that there's, that there's been of these faith systems. It says, uh, Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. This thing should never have taken off. A bunch of Jews with a guy saying, I'm God. Finally, they killed him. They nailed Jesus to the cross. They made sure he was dead. 
they put him into a tomb. And I know that the Jews of the day and the Romans of the day, they're like, we got this thing finished. We got this thing finished. The Romans, they could care less about the religious side of it. But they didn't want somebody causing a bunch of trouble. The Jews, man, so sacrilegious. And yet, from a core of Jews who said they saw this man rise from the dead, they ended up proclaiming, He is God. They started saying, look, we've been hearing about the Messiah all of our lives. We found Him. And He didn't do it the way that we thought He was going to do it. He's not overthrowing, overthrowing the Romans. He's overthrowing our hearts. Jesus is God, is what they were saying. I went to a high school reunion a while back and um, found that as I had conversations with friends, just like you do if you go to a big company party or just a family reunion, um, with people you had not seen in a long time or, or, uh, or other, other uh, environments like that, um, you see that people, they'll, they'll, they own these different categories of being religious or irreligious or people of, of grace. Um, I mean, I, there was some good friends there. I mean, everyone was nice. Um, everybody brought their worldview with them, and they, they couldn't help it. A worldview, it's like your shadow. It follows you everywhere, and it shows what you look like when you're confronted with Jesus Christ. I talked a little bit about seven questions that kind of pointed to meaning in life. I mean, I, I was speaking with them and just, you know, asking them what's, you know, what's important in their life, what are they doing in the, with their life, and, and, uh, and in the middle of the, and, and, and high school reunions are incredible for this because people, man, they're going to tell you all their accomplishments you know, and they're going to show you what it is that they really live for, whether it be their career or profession or their family, or they ended up getting their ex's house. It was one conversation I had, or the friends they've got, all the traveling they've been doing, uh, feeling superior because they did blank better than uh, this other person, um, or even people just, you know, uh, philanthropy and the good things that, that they're doing and, 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 and bragging uh, about, about this and, and so much of it has to do with, okay, I, I accept myself. I feel good about myself. I, I can proclaim myself being better and more right or righteous because of what I do. And that's religion. That's religion. I spoke to a, a Muslim acquaintance of mine here in town. I've uh, um, been building a relationship with him for several years. He owns a owns a restaurant here in town, and uh, his name's Muhammad. Um, just ask you guys to, to pray for my friend Muhammad, and I remember he, him telling me that we would both end up in, in heaven, and I asked him, I was like, well, how, Muhammad, you know, and uh, he said that we were both serving the, the same God. Now, see, if you speak, if you speak to someone who knows their religion, they they will say that Christianity is either better or worse, but it's not the same. If somebody knows their faith system, they really do. They're going to contrast. And they're going to say, Christianity, yeah, you guys do have some things better. Or most of the time it's going to be, yeah, I choose this because it's better. Um, and we, we just kind of live in, as Dave Berg talks about, there's just, there's a pla- it's like a plasma. It's like a, in, in, this, in this case, it's like a spiritual plasma uh, that people just want to 
have these comfort statements to be able to say, you know, man, everybody basically believes the same thing. We're all, we're all headed down the, the path, the same path. But guys, if Jesus was not the Son of God, then man, he was, he concocted a bunch of lies. I mean, he said that he was God. He told people to give up all that they had to follow him. We're going to get to that next week, the second part of it, of what, what we believe or what other people believe, and then what does Jesus require? What does it mean to really follow Him, to really take up your cross and follow Him? And man, if, if He was not really the Son of God, and He said, come worship Me and follow Me and believe Me and give up your life, He was a horrible man. A horrible man. It can't just be everything's about the same. If Jesus was not who He said He was, man, just be a good person, but go do whatever the heck you want. But if Jesus is God and has always been God, and and it took Him coming and taking human form and being led by the Spirit to follow the, the will of His Father, just like modeling that out for us. And He went all the way to the cross and died with our sins upon Him. And He Himself saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me, the gateway. That everything is not the same. It's not the same. I remember being in a taxi cab in Kenya, speaking with a Muslim driver, and I asked him what he believed about Isa, Jesus. And he said, he's a great prophet. Does that sound familiar? What people say about Jesus. Great prophet. And that he even was told to listen to him. He was told. And I asked him, I said, well, can a prophet lie? He said, no. And I told him, I said, listen, do you, can I read you something? I said, yes. And I took him to John 14 and I said what I just quoted a while ago where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Took him to this passage here where, where it said, he, he, uh, John 10, where he said, I and the Father are one. And I read about what he said about himself and ended up giving the guy a Bible in Kiswahili for him to read. Guys, Christianity is not the same. It is either far less or it's far more. Let's move a little bit from irreligion to religion to grace. Grace says that God brings righteousness as a gift to me. Irreligion, my own righteousness is a gift to me and to my world. Religion, my righteousness is something I bring as a gift to God. Grace, or the gospel is, is that God brings righteousness as a gift to me. Let me read something to you from from Tim Keller. Christians are those who have adopted a whole new system of approach to God. They've had both religious phases and irreligious phases in their life, but they've come to see that their entire reason for both their irreligion and their religion was essentially the same and essentially wrong. Christians come to see that both their sins and their best deeds have all really been ways of avoiding Jesus as their Savior. They come to see that Christianity is not fundamentally an invitation to get more religious. A Christian comes to say, 
Though I have often failed to obey the moral law, the deeper problem was why I was trying to obey it. Even my efforts to obey it has been just a way of seeking to be my own Savior. In that mindset, even if I obey or ask for forgiveness, I'm really resisting the gospel and setting myself up as Savior. To get the gospel is to turn from self-justification and rely on Jesus' record for a relationship with God. The irreligious don't repent at all, and the religious only repent of sins. But Christians also repent of their righteousness. That's the distinction between the three groups. Christians, the religious or moralists, and pragmatists, the irreligious. And where are you? And if you're a Christian in here, God has saved you because He brought your righteousness as a gift. But you, need, you may need to repent today to say, but God, I've been trying to live my life as if it's still on me. Trying to impress you, trying to impress others, trying to impress myself, acceptance. But rather, we say, God, you did it all. You did it all. And I, I not only repent of my sins, I repent of trying to be right and righteous. Because that's only your place. And if you're one of our friends in here, but you're not a believer in Christ, man, today's the day of freedom for you. Today's the day by which you say, I don't have, I don't have to be right anymore. I admit I'm wrong. Admit I'm a sinner. And I don't have to be good enough for God. God was good enough for me. He came. Receive that gift. Surrender. Place your faith in Him. Even right now. Even right now. Verse 29. And He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered Him, you are the Christ. And He strictly charged them, to tell no one about him. That last little part is kind of strange, but we've talked about that in the last few weeks of how God, Jesus was a strategist. He knew that the more the word got spread, the quicker the quicker he went to the cross and the less ministry time he had, he managed his time well. Right? So he's telling him not to go tell everybody he's the, the Christ or the Messiah, the Savior. He, basically, at that point, he's saying, let, let me do the talking right now. At that point, that's changed, by the way. After he rose again, he said, now go tell everybody. Go tell the world. And that's what our mandate is. But Peter's answer, he said, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. You are my Savior. And my question for you right now as we, as we close is, what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, i got to be honest, some... I can answer it correctly, but you know what? Sometimes my actions state that I'm irreligious, that I'm more of a functional atheist because I live my life on my own. I don't really need Him that much based on my actions. So not only who do you say Jesus is, but who does your life say that Jesus really is? Does your life, does your lack of dependency upon Him really just count Jesus as irrelevant? And if that's you, just know, man, you're, join the club because that's me. There are days that that's me. Just join me and, and just saying, God, I repent of it. You took care of that as well. So God changed my heart, changed my heart. The last thing I want you all to process through is 
that first question, which is, who, what do others say? Who do others say that I am? And so you guys who are Christians, and the mandate that we have, and the life, the faithfulness to the generation, and the city that we live in, and the globe that's around, it, that's around us, who are your friends that are religious or irreligious? Who are your friends that you need to find out? And what are you going to do with that? Get strategic. Don't be weighted down. Don't be condemned by it. Don't have paralysis of analysis. Don't do it alone. Have some others in journey group and other fellow disciples by which you just say, help me, help me to develop a strategy to find out among my friends and my family who they say Jesus really is. And ask them. Just say, you could ask them that very same question. Who do you think Jesus is? And see what they say. Let's pray. God, um, please change my heart and change our hearts, uh, those who are, who are Christians in here, Lord, that we would be incredibly devoted um, to walking this out, Lord, in, in, in our own life, Lord, that, that we, would, we would shun the religious parts of us, being that we try to we try to maintain righteousness or get righteousness by us doing well enough. Um, but to say, Jesus, you did it alone. I rest entirely upon the cross for my acceptance with you. And then that actually frees us to then to, to, to do what even James says is what pure religion really is, which is to, which is to care for orphans, to care for widows, and then a holiness, keeping ourselves unstained by the the world views around us, God. So help us to press into that, to, to go and, and to do what you call us to do, Lord. To go and to speak forth and to, just to find out, to care for our neighbors, our friends, those that are around us, God. Help us to process through this, to think through it. And as we do, Lord, that we prepare ourselves for the hospitality of God's table. These tables that are around that we know that really Christ, you're the one that's inviting us to the table. You're saying, come and experience my broken body and my blood spilled out for you freshly. Not that you're, you're not going through it again, Lord. It's already paid for. But in some kind of a mystic way, Lord, that, that we're connecting with you. And as, as, as my friend Eric has said, it's like a time machine that transports us back to the cross where you paid for all of our sins, not just some. And may when we take that bread and dip it in that wine or in that, that juice and we take it, that we just know you paid it all with your body, with your blood. The entire wrath of the Father was poured upon you for every bit of our sins. Thank you for that, God. We celebrate grace. Help us to process through this. Take our time and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.